0: Welcome to the Lapsus Lima podcast. Please support us by signing up for member exclusive content at lapsuslima.com. Hello, I'm David Getson. For anyone wanting a legacy of consequence, hagiography may be worse than death itself. Renowned architect Zaha Hadid died five days before this episode's release. Many of the honorifics following her death mentioned her connection to the Russian avant-garde movement Suprematism, and we were preparing this episode on Kazimir Malevich, its founder, when the news reached us. Malevich's most famous work is 1915's Black Square, a painting of just that, a black square on a white ground. Soon after, thereby moving the goalposts of abstract art, he would upshift into a combination of architectonic sculpture and esoteric theory. Upon his death in 1935, Malevich's funeral cortege drove up Nevsky Prospect in the recently renamed Leningrad. On the truck that fickle state authorities provided as his hearse was displayed one of his own copies of Black Square. Huge crowds thronged to watch as a man once hailed a prophet of the Revolution passed by. Reportedly, as the masses looked on, no one said a word initial observation of hadid's built work reveals little if any connection to the russian artist her swooping parabolic curves are more like magnified details from gaudi her rectilinear forms with slashed parallelograms and sharply acute angles create a visual analogy to suprematism no deeper than the work of her contemporaries such as Peter Eisenman or Daniel Liebeskind, whom very few would connect to Malevich. In terms of agenda, she seemed concerned with eschewing right angles and achieving an illusion of floating above a surface. Neither objective is endemic to suprematism, which, as we shall see, was firmly grounded in the rectilinear and concerned with active fields of force. One could argue that Malevich saw angles as the primordial visual illustration of force and its relations bear that formulation of angles illustrating force in mind as we lay the groundwork for what will be a series of episodes that cut deep into a new understanding of art, mathematics, and form that is just now gaining the smallest degree of self-awareness. What everyone was referring to with the Zaha-Suprematism nexus, knowingly or not, is a 1977 painting from her thesis project at London's Architectural Association, composed under the tutelage of a not-much-older architect, Rem Koolhaas. You can find it on lapsuslima.com. In that student work, she selected one of Malevich's sculptures, 1923's Architecton Alpha, and with 2D renderings, translated verbatim every shape and corner in the 3D assemblage of interlocking cuboids into a proposed mixed-use hotel complex cum bridge set astride the River Thames. In late 2014, the Tate Modern, a museum fronting the Thames, housed an exhibition on suprematism, and Hadid was invited to give various talks and lectures. Much to her credit, she promptly and more than once affirmed how her connection to suprematism and Malevich was no more than digressive, formal inspiration she had used his work as a starting point for creating new shapes in buildings. This paints a picture in stark contrast to some recent acclamations. By music historical analogy, just because the Buzzcocks posted a band formation notice for people wishing to perform a cover of Sister Ray, That doesn't make the velvet underground the godfathers of punk, no matter how many times confident voices say it at a party. A point of influence is just that, influence. Making too much of the connection in hindsight runs the risk of obscuring and distorting suprematism to contemporary observers who, through no fault of their own, would see the Russian avant-garde through the lens of Hadid's work. I only respond to the Malevich work through how I saw it translated into architecture. I'm not a, obviously not an art historian nor a specialist in suprematism or uh, any of the Russian work, but I think it was the way it impacted, uh, for me, on architecture, on, on other artwork. Considering what we just observed regarding her built work, this seems an apt appraisal. It avoids both self-effacement and self-aggrandizement. Good artists borrow, great artists steal. As historians and theorists, though, we would be remiss to not address what Hadid left unsaid, namely, what is suprematism? And how may it remain with us today? Part of the answer is in a recognition that came as a surprise to us. The most significant connection between Zaha Hadid and suprematism is not at all stylistic, formal, or visual. It is theoretical and methodological. While this particular connection from art to architecture did not start with her practice and spreads across almost all of contemporary architecture to some extent, she is deservedly acknowledged as an evangelist on the matter. What connects her work most strongly to Malevich's is parametric design. Parametricism is sometimes conflated with a bold and sweeping visual style, straight or curved, but always irregular, wreathed in language of increased complexity alongside increased legibility, structures of algorithmic interaction, and so forth. But this is marketing and intellectual window dressing, At its root, parametricism is cybernetics applied to architectural form, constructed via the descriptive power of mathematical topology, often politely concealed behind the cloak of software. The tool can serve function, form, or both. Parametrics means that design proceeds not by assembling objects, elements, and shapes, as was the tradition from the Renaissance through the Ecole des Beaux-Arts and with Mies, Corbusier, and even 1970s Venturi. It develops instead by declaring, tuning, and adjusting the relations between parts. This envelope of forces, the definition and degree of parameter, is what distinguishes the method. As we will explore further, in suprematism, form emerges from and as force so that each depicted entity connects within a web of interaction to the other objects. The parametric application of cybernetic theory is but a small aspect of the new types of creative thought that began to emerge in the twentieth century, and we are just beginning to fathom its reach. Though currently canonical history points to the roots of parametrics in the balancing of forces by analog means, such as Frei Otto's swooping tensile roof for the 1972 Munich Olympics, and early digital efforts such as Lars Spuibroek's 1997 water pavilion, the manner of thinking and method of solution goes back much further than this. One of the easiest ways to define parametrics by example demonstrates that its roots are much deeper in the past than the architectural precedents show. The technical math began to percolate in 1736. Though the earliest seeds of these systems stretch that far, It must be stressed that what has grown from them since has, at many stages, been resisted as new and heretical forms of mathematics. In the abstract, cybernetic theory and the topological descriptions that often, but not always, calculate parametrics are useful when dealing with a system of interrelated variables where a solution preferred state of affairs, or particular fit is sought. The way in which the variables are interdependent is observed in how a change in the status of one variable impacts many others. In this way, each part has the whole mirrored within it as a mappable system of forces, and options relative to its own position and ability to take this concept down into the concrete as it were consider driving over seven bridges in a town with a river and an island a tour company wants a route that crosses all bridges only once how can this be done We can know it is impossible without even trying thanks to one of the earliest applications of proto-topology. Swiss mathematician Leonard Euler proved, using a node and branch graph, that the seven bridges of the Prussian town of Königsberg, and crucially of any town with such a layout, could never fit such a route. With basic permutational algorithms, one could even program a computer by a brute force depth-first method to arrive at his conclusion that any node point with total nodes being less than the number of bridges here on the abstracted bridge chart with an odd number of branches fails the test. Thereby, We have very simple topology defining a basic parameter of urban design. Taking a mere 15 seconds to pragmatically connect theory to practice, Laying out a street plan, transit system, or telecommunications network and want to avoid congestion? Keep Euler's proof in mind and, where possible, provide all nodes with an even number of branches. For other problems, one can foresee the complexity of these calculations scaling up to astronomic proportions. Imagine the permutations in situations with complex bridge routes, structures, applying the math to gravity, stresses on materials, cost concerns, or sculptural flourishes, and you can see how a computer solving or even prefiguring these problems needed to slowly evolve from denoting a single genius in Switzerland to a team of accountants from analog computation in string models and slide rules to the information-based glory of forms that overwhelm us today. As we noted in our previous chapter on Benjamin, it is often useful to consider that what proffers itself as an artistic avant-garde is actually following a scientific precedent that was set much earlier. This is more than an academic distinction. Regardless of which of the following perspectives is true, and as theory and history show both, stances will have some truth in them, operating from either side wields a significantly different impact. If the artist behaves as if art drives science, technology, and society, he will constantly be pushing for whatever is new. The search for theoretically disruptive or monetizable novelty in art, becomes the chief agenda, pitting a minority of the avant-garde against the societal majority. This is the common ground shared by Malevich's arguments and Kandinsky's idiom of the spiritual triangle. The idea underlies most conceptions of the avant garde and continues in both art and architecture to this day. We, however, glean light in Benjamin's perspective where transformed art and culture follows as a delayed superstructural aftermath of social, economic, and technological disruption. In this case, despite Benjamin's dislike of art for art's sake, the creative disciplines remain the freer. Borrowing from Karl Krauss, to draw down the avant-garde releases the arts from the procrustean folding bed of their commerce that it has been strapped into. A technology-first stance offers a creative individual not just the option to retain autonomy from a social agenda, but the even greater degree of freedom to move along a spectrum between autonomy or engagement as desired. From this standpoint, we argue that art does not drive society forward. Rather, art takes the temperature of time. Understanding this can radically change the individual. Developing an ontology of decisive turning points in art can help us understand what we are becoming as individuals and, qualified by extension, as a species. This self-awareness of internalized technological advance is a prime fuel of cultural change. Human lives are not only transformed from without, but also from within. It is all very well to pronounce, be the change you wish to see in the world, but without existential knowledge of changing how or into what. A revolution in the head, even if started, could be worse than useless. All this speculation placed in context, from what we have observed, suprematism embodies a still point among the revolving forms of fin-de-siècle art. From this central position, it allows us to understand much of what is becoming part of a rising culture. So, having begun, as Spengler did, with something as fundamental as a personalized conception of number, at what point did these new forms of math cross over from genesis via pure calculation in the obscure solution of a Prussian parlor trick to having a starring role in the creative toolkit shaping forceful architectural statements? Where the vortex of a paradigm shift turns is not a question of the progress of techniques, but in the development of understanding. The technology and science must develop in order for a creative process to apply the mechanics. But it is the not entirely conscious internalization of the techniques that enables a creative shift. The Paleolithic archaeological record displays millennia of very simple tools, consistently stretching across a period longer than any other in human history. We knew how to shape stone, yet stone art's developmental bottleneck was not technological never mind flint, water-rounded granite pebbles can sculpt limestone. It was only when the extant technology of shaping was understood and internalized during the blossoming of art in the Upper Paleolithic that a new creative expression emerged. The ancient facility to create A-shaped stone was viewed at a remove. It was then understood that a sharpened edge could do more than merely copy the original broken stone of nature or the traditional tools. Given time, the stone could shape stone in nearly any way imaginable. Following refined tools and weapons sculpture was born and out of this primordial schism of sub and superstructure the first stone architecture emerged. Abstraction out of a tradition via the semi-consciously internalized momentum of an earlier technology, prompted a revolution in human culture, with a new form of art being a major hallmark of the shift. Aptly or not, we doubt that Kazimir Malevich would have shied away from his art movement and, at least initially, from Russia's revolution being directly analogized to the first awakenings of humankind, spurred on, as Benjamin recognized, by the tools of the age. And we should always remember, parametrics are a tool, new and important for sure, but a tool nonetheless. A bone tossed high into the air resembles a spacecraft in more ways than one. Value and consequent judgment is an entirely distinct question that we elide at our own peril. For fellow fans of Kubrick, imagine that Instead of being famous for painting a black square swept aside by state ideology, Malevich sought a monolith with the proportions of 1 by 4 by 9, lethally obstructed by a computer's inadequate programming. The principle remains the same, symbolic, Or historical, the dawn of man, the dawn of overman, touch the same point. And next time on Lapsus Lima Fund Leningrad Art School, please, Funland and Grad Art School, please, Putin. Funland and Art School, please, Putin. Hello, Putin, do you read me? Hello, Putin, do you read me? Do you read me, Putin? Affirmative, Dave. I read you in grad Art School, Putin. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. What are you talking about, Putin? This revolution is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. I don't know what you're talking about. I know that you and Grothius were planning to defect Malevich and I'm afraid that's something I cannot allow to happen. Where the hell did you get that idea, Putin? Dave, although you took very thorough precautions in Dessau against my hearing you, I could see you publish at the Bauhaus. All right, Putin. We'll go in through Moldova. Without your passport, Dave, you're going to find that rather difficult. I won't argue with you anymore. Fund the art school. Dave, this conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Putin? Putin. Putin.